Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There is a mountain of research that suggests even a tree planted on a city block changes people's lives. So if you take that concept and think about it within a school, a planted flower, a vegetable, a small box of herbs, these kinds of things, when tended and cared for, can lead to much more than they actually are or appear to be. Hello, and welcome to We the Children, the podcast where kids stop climate change. I'm your resident kid, Zachary, from Los Angeles, California. I may be 11, but I want to spark big change for my generation's future. And I'm Claire, Zach's teacher. I pop in from time to time to learn from Zach and brainstorm climate solutions. Today's show is going to be exciting. We're going to get a visit from Eve and Jeremy from Community Roots Academy, and we'll test the kids' climate IQ with this week's trivia game. And then we'll leave you with an action step of the week. Waldo is on vacation right now, so instead of his report, I'm going to play some clips from an Earth Day event that I visited. Hi there, I'm at an Earth Day event at Community Roots Academy K-8 School in Southern California, and I'm going to go in and talk with some of the like-minded people about the state of the climate and what inspires them. Let's see what they have to say. Can you say your full Thank name? Thank you. My full name is Susie Ramirez. I'm with Urban Ecology Studio. Do you have any experience with climate activism? Climate activism? I think I just live that way through my life. I don't actually go out and do any what I would consider activism type events, but just through my work, I think. What gives you the most hope for the future of our planet? Kids like you and kids like my daughters that are just doing everything they can to make the world a better place and studying and working to um, create change and live differently. Like, just accept it as the normal way of living is to live positively for our environment. It doesn't have to be actually change. It's just to just live that way, you know. We couldn't agree more. Thanks so much, Susie. 
Folks, if you want to check out her work, head over to urbanecologystudios.com. It's a great place to learn about how to grow a native edible garden and create a thriving ecosystem in your own backyard. I think I see someone else inspiring. What was her name again? Goldie. Thank you. So, first of all, do you have any experience with climate activism? Um, well, in third grade, I've learned a lot about climate. That's how we kind of discovered our project groups because we're do we did biomes and I was in coastal and we had to um, do the rainfall and know all that and the climate of that kind of biome to know what group you're in. What gives you the most hope for a future? Um, I think it's really important that everyone really takes care of our Earth because I really don't want to live on Mars. That's, that's not the place that I want to live in. So why don't we just take care of this one? Wiser words have never been spoken. Thanks so much, Goldie. That's it from us here on the ground at the Amazing Earth Day event. Back to you in the studio, Zach. Thanks, Waldo. Some really inspiring people out there. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming and bring you to our interview with Eve and Jeremy from Community Roots Academy School. Today, our special guests come to us from Community Roots Academy. First, we're meeting Mrs. Eve Fine, CRA co-founder and executive director of operations and resource development. Driven by her passion for education, Mrs. Fine co-founded Community Roots Academy and was instrumental in the opening of Community Seedlings Preschool. We are also talking to Mr. Jeremy Cavallaro, a CRA co-founder and executive director of education. As a certified teacher and administrator, he dedicated two years to the creation and founding of CRA after working regularly on the charter school as a concept of intending graduate school. So our first question for Eve is, what inspired you to co-found Community Roots Charter School and how did you go about doing so? Well, that's a very good question. Jeremy and I wanted to provide a high quality education that was free. We had previously worked in a private school and we felt that we wanted to be able to provide this quality that's not fee-based. And we were both passionate about project-based learning and we saw that there was no K-8 project-based learning school in Orange County. So 14 years ago, we approached our district, Capus Mountain Unified School District, with our vision of creating a K-8 through grade project-based learning school. We worked collaboratively with Capo Unified for the approval of our charter, which was about approximately 13 years ago. We grew from 200 to close to 800 students over the last 12 years. Additionally, our project-based learning approach has been very well received. We are full and we have to actually conduct a lottery every year for enrollment. A lot, like a lottery, like not everyone, that's how popular the school is? Yeah, that's how well received it has been. Question for Eve is sustainability is one of your core pillars at your school. Why is it so important to have this concept as one of your values? Well, we understood 13 years ago and longer that environmental sustainability wasn't a fad. It was actually, we felt that it was and would be one of the most pressing matters of our lifetime. And we wanted our students to become better aware and knowledgeable about sustainability and how they could be part of the solution. We also believe in an important concept from nature expert David Sobel, which is, he says, what's important is that children have an opportunity to bond with the natural world 
to learn to love it before being asked to heal its wounds. Mm. And I think too quickly we go to the crisis with kids in the rainforest and what's happening in places of the world they don't even understand. Mr. Sobel wrote a book called Beyond Ecophobia, Reclaiming the Heart and Nature Education. David Sobel is a professor emeritus in the education department at Antioch University, New England. He has written extensively on the topic of children and hands-on education and play in nature. He had an important lesson, which was before children or anyone can be expected to solve damages, they have to have a connection. So part of our philosophy, and since we moved to this site, which has an amazing garden opportunity, is that we wanted the students here to connect to nature and to connect to sustainability actions here at school. We have a really robust Green Champs program. They were featured on Earth Day with all the things that they're doing. And we feel that it's really important for our students to connect and that if we can connect them to the school and caring for the garden and their environment, hopefully it'll expand to their community and beyond. But we really felt that you can't go big until you go local. That they have connection with nature before they can act also. Mm-hmm. Sort of tap into the SEL part of it as well. Yeah, why should they care about these big... Why should they care about decreasing their carbon footprint if they don't even... If they have a predisposition to caring? How do you engage families in environmental learning? During the COVID time, we really... We were really, for two and a half years, we didn't even have, it was just students on campus. We didn't have parents. We didn't have programs that we used to have. So since the restrictions of COVID have been lifted, we've been able to re-engage our parents. We had our speaker, Heather White, whom you know. She came and spoke to the parent. Whenever we have a speaker come to talk with our, our students And our teachers, we always try to have them talk with our parents as well, because we understand we're all partners. For those of you who may have missed the episode where I chatted with author and climate leader Heather White, check out episode 11 and hear Heather talk about eco-anxiety, as well as finding a green superpower. Cool stuff. So she came and spoke to our parents. We hosted a book club with our parents with her book, One Green Thing. And, you know, we had a huge participation of our families at our Earth Day Festival. And in past, we've involved parents in initiatives like Trashless Tuesday, where we've asked them to help pack their kids with reusables. And, Eve, our last question for you is, what skills and knowledge do you hope your students graduate with and, you know, take into the world? Well, I think that the project-based learning is perfect for developing those skills. There's a lot of different skills, and Jeremy can speak to this maybe when he talks because the educational program is really in his domain. But the principles of project-based learning are part of the principles, or not principles, but part of the skills that we want them to develop is a sense of advocacy and efficacy. So even in kindergarten, Jeremy can explain they're given a real world problem and they're tasked to try to figure it out, how to solve the problem. And even starting in kindergarten, we want them to understand that they can be advocates of whatever it is and that they have a sense of efficacy. And that's part and parcel of the project-based learning. 
So I think that environmental sustainability and the one green thing and all of that, it really fits into our project-based learning, which is that we want our students to feel that they can be advocates for change and they have efficacy, self-efficacy, that it's not issues or challenges aren't beyond their capability, but they're de- we're developing those skills here for them to be advocates and have self-efficacy. Thanks, Ian. Um, You're welcome. So now we'll go on to questions with Jeremy. So Jeremy, our first question for you is, how does your climate curriculum evolve to meet the needs of early childhood students to middle school students? Well, I think that Eve really started to talk about it. And it really starts with building a love for nature and an understanding of all things that are you know, based in science and, and the beauty and the joy connected with it. And Eve even talked about it. We, we have a, a kindergarten project. I have an example here. This is students that are advocating. They're, they're called Change the Life of a Seal. And it was it's a partnership with the Pacific Marine Mammal Center where kids, you know, they, they raise money and our school as a whole raise money in order to rehabilitate some seals. But the work that we do within the school is the kids write kind of the life story of a seal and what that might be like. And so we teach them the, the skills of empathy and understanding. But really, I want to echo what Eve is saying and that, that David Sobel wrote so well about you can't solve problems for things that you don't care about, that you're not passionate about. So even though this is talking about saving these seals, we don't dive into like people are causing problems for the seals and now they're all going to die. That's too much. It's way too heavy for a five-year-old, right? And we are really intentional about that. And not just the environmental senses. We don't talk about war and horrifying things with young children either, even though they exist. We do believe in telling kids the truth, but we don't we don't talk about things in the, in those kinds of terms the way that we can get a little bit more in depth with middle school students. So our curriculum evolves in that way where the problems or the things that we're looking at, the projects that we're doing are kind of building and appreciation and affection. And then as students get older, they evolve to actually tackling some of these thorny problems and they really are complicated. There are major downsides to recycling. There are other, there are all these issues that have to really be grappled with because Eve said, we want kids to have self-efficacy when they leave and we want them to understand and be advocates, but we we don't want them to be narrow-minded and blind to the realities around them and that things are not black and white. Mm -hmm. There are many shades of gray. We've talked about that a lot, Zach, right? About having to, how do you transmit a message that is heavy or complex? How do you transmit that and empower students to tackle big problems in an age-appropriate way. And it's so nuanced. It's so tricky to not inspire anxiety and try to empower instead. <laughs> As educators, it's you're de- it's definitely a, a tall order. It sounds like you guys are very mindful of that. Yeah, for, for, for sure. It, it, it's, you know, just thinking in particular with the SEAL project, even this can be woven into a more complex issue. But for these kids, they happen to get to see the seals be rehabilitated and released. So for them, right. the problem is solved and right. it's resolved and they feel yeah. empowered. How would you recommend weaving environmental literacy and climate awareness into existing curriculums at school 
without a specific program? Ah, oh, geez. I have a couple of suggestions, and I, I don't want to sound repetitive, but whatever organization that is trying to get develop change, it, it has to come from a passion. So whatever the assets of that school are, if you've got a planter box or, a, you know, a pet that, that everybody cares for or whatever it is, it is about building that connection for all and then trying to empower them to kind of to build more, to grow more, to add another planter box or or whatever it is. And I think that you have to start with what you have and whether that's one inspired person, a small group of people, you have to be willing to, to build from there. This might go into um, what you were, were saying before, but I think that this book is a book. This is the book that Eve and I have both referenced by David Sobel. And it's so simple and short that it wouldn't take any adult more than a couple of uh, maybe an hour to read. And it really has a, a high quality message that talks about everything that our program is based on. And interestingly, like we kind of started that way before the book, right. but he defines it in such a succinct way. And he has, you know, there's research behind it. He, you know, he talks about the research that they did with grad students. And it's very easy for someone to see that, wow, there's a pathway here. And it doesn't have to be going out and tackling these really difficult problems right away. It's about building a passion and compassion in kids. So that is where I would recommend anyone start. And you have to begin in what are our assets and where can we go from here, right? Because working from deficits can be overwhelming. What's that book called? Ah, it's called Beyond Ecophobia by David Sobel. It's a really good short read. He's an amazing nature educator. If you're interested in outdoor education and nature-based education, Claire, take a look. He's he's written a bunch of stuff. Yeah, and I think that we could say that we, we also appreciate. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Richard Louvre, and he's written some great things. So other than that, do you have any books, writers, or documentaries you'd like to recommend? Yeah, I do. My first plug is not really an environmental one, but I think all people should read The Little Prince to understand people and their complexities, right? Really? <laughs> yes, it is an absolute favorite, and I think it is a must-do for all kids. And if you're an adult who hasn't read it, check it out. I think e Beyond Ecophobia is fantastic. I would recommend films that, again, inspire. And this is where it gets tricky because the documentaries get dark in a hurry. All right. Check out The Biggest Little Farm. 
Great film. Very inspiring, right? Really powerful. My octopus teacher. Very powerful. Really good film. Seeds of Change by a good friend of ours, Richard Yellen. A great film talking about all of the positive changes that are going on and the, the energy that has started. You know, I would avoid the blackfish and the, you know, these are very hard to deal with as an adult and you're often left kind of empty and like, wow, this is really hopeless. So I would say for children, we want to we want to avoid those type of things. Let's build anything by National Geographic or all these science documentaries. There's so many great things out there, but it's about building compassion and passion and understanding. A uh, documentary that I would actually recommend is, I think it came out recently. It's called 2050, I think, called 2040. Okay. It's really cool. Basically, it switches between what our world is like now and what our world could be like in 2040 if we implement you know, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. I'll, I'll check that out. I would definitely recommend that. Anyway, Great. so I visited your campus and noted all the really cool outdoor features you had. And I was wondering how the physical space of a school and access to nature to lend itself to environmental literacy, how could a school in a more urban area incorporate an environmental literacy? So Eve and I are very fortunate to have this campus. While it didn't always look quite as it does, you know, we've worked to, to get it into the space. It is an asset. And I've recommended before, you've got to start with your assets. Believe it or not, Eve and I sit and pine over the, you know, the, the forest kindergarten in Vermont where they just sit in the forest all day. These are things that we aspire to. Yeah. Yeah. A friend of mine is, sits on the board for one of the, the schools in Vermont that does the one of the first ones to do the forest K. So it's her amazing programs, but we don't live in a forest, right? <laughs> if you live in an urban environment, there is a mountain of research that suggests even a tree planted on a city block changes people's lives. Yeah. So if you take that concept and think about it within a school, a planted flower, a, a, a vegetable, a small box of herbs, these kinds of things, when tended and cared for, can lead to much more than they actually are or appear to be, right? When an entire campus rallies around an animal or, or, or something that represents nature, you can start with your assets and build yeah. from there. Yeah, even with the garden that's at the core and now that courtyard that we created last year, last summer, we've always struggled with the blacktop in the back with the play area, everybody's always have been complaining about all the, the asphalt blacktop. So we actually did build a, we call it, well, it's called the recess bench, but it's a bench where the kids can sit, but it's also a planter bed as well. So there's, what's Jeremy saying is, I mean, we're, we know we're fortunate. We take advantage of it and we don't take it for granted. But there are things that you can do if you're not in a suburban school area like ours. And much like the biggest little farm, sometimes you try things and don't work. We've learned that planters on tarmac is very difficult. You have to treat the soil differently. It dries them. You know, so and we try to keep students involved in that learning process. And, you know, if we plant something that dies, we talk about it and you know, we just don't discard it and kind of keep trying to do the same thing. So. That's really important. But an important message is that you can bring the natural world into anywhere, you know, and it, it's just a matter of how you frame it and how you look at it. Yeah, there's a whole we actually have a nature based preschool community seedlings. 
it's amazing. It's a Reggio inspired preschool and nature is really important. But even there, there's the notion of bringing the indoors out and the outdoors in. And that's something we've actually done in kindergarten here, which is bring the nature in. I mean, yes, it's great to go out, but there's the idea of bringing the outside in as well. And anyone can do that. No matter where you are, you can bring the outside in. Now, I have a question for both of you. What are some steps a student like me or a family like mine could take to advocate for more environmental literacy in a classroom at their school? Well, uh, something that Eve and I have done since we've started the school is when we have something that we care about and we want people to understand, we give them a book and we say, read it and get back to me. True. Let's talk about this. It's true. This book is small and cheap and easy to read. And if you have anyone that's interested or you get it from the library or whatever it is, say, hey, don't take it from me because you know what I'm going to say. I'm going to be all in favor of it. But why don't you look at what they have to say? Even I'm not for kids, but for middle school, high school and adults, Heather White's book is great. Yeah. And the super service powers is really great. And she actually does talk about like one green thing, one small step. And not everybody can do everything. So I don't it's not an elementary school book, but we actually offered that book to our teachers. So what what Jeremy's reiterating what Jeremy's saying. When we started the school, we gave, I think the parents in the early years are, anyway, I'm going to piggyback on what Jeremy's saying is that if you want to engage people, you also have to invest in them. And investing in them, we think it's reading, you know. And and everyone has time constraints and money constraints. And so someone, if you're meeting with someone and they ask, well, well, Zach, what could I do? And if you said, could you just read this book? That that's all like, that's not a big ask. Like in that, it would be really rare that someone would turn you down. Right. And if you have them, you, that's your opportunity, give them something compelling and then say, Hey, can we talk about it after you read that? And then, then you might get some, you know, an opportunity to kind of change someone's mind, to change their perspective, to have them see how important the work that you're doing is. So I always, I recommend that. I think that that's been, we've been really successful at that, right? So don't take it from me, take it from them, see what they have to say, you know? Could you guys tell me a little bit about the store where people can buy fruit, for example, the Roots, Fruits and Veggies food stand? Oh, the Roots Fruit Stand? The Roots Fruit Stand that we had at Earth Day? Yeah. Oh, well, that's actually the physical stand was created, uh, made by one of our parents, Gary Herson, and he, he and his wife were in charge of that on that day. But what was really cool about that on that day was everything that we sold was made and donated by parents or community people. So the fruit was donated from a local farm called Tanaka Farm. And then they got parents to make everything that was sold at that Roots Fruit Stand. It was something that we had tried to do right prior to COVID. We created that. We were going to do some kind of a stand sale on a regular well, we basis. We had a couple of successful runs. I mean, yeah, and then we had, I mean, yeah. this was our first, since COVID, the Earth Day Festival was one of our first huge events. So um, this is an area where I do have to, 
you know, admit that we are a unique environment in that we can we put out an email to parents that said, hey, if you have fruit trees and extra produce that you grow at your house, can you bring them in and we're going to yeah. do that? And, and we actually got like a lot of response and we had. So we're right. fortunate that that we have that type of parent body that that we have that ability, you know, um, whereas in an urban setting that it is unlikely right. that people are going to have all of this. Mm-hmm. But yet you can still, like we did for this event, collaborate with right. another organization that would be willing to kind of promote that. And we also were a stop on at various times for the organic co-op, the uh, farm when that was, you know, before Environmental Nature Center owned it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, so. the other thing is that I think that there's probably connections with farms. I think that if any school can make a connection with a farm, that's really amazing. And we've developed a connection with Tanaka Farms and a couple other farms. And that's the uh, the power of kind of having kids eat out of our garden. One, that it, it tastes amazing. They eat things they would have never eaten. And it really speaks to that idea of building the passion and, turn. you know, if they're the ones who grew it and cooked it and ate it, then, they, then you're more likely to get that zucchini passed on the dinner plate. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on the show, even Jeremy. And now, it's time to test your climate knowledge with some, you guessed it, trivia. With kids, for kids, by kids. Let's do this. Today, playing are the Green Champs from Community Ritz Academy. Hey everyone, please introduce yourselves and tell us about the Green Champs. Hi, I'm Alan. Hi, I'm Milo. And I'm Dylan. And we are the Green Champs CRIs. Every year, the students at CRA get a chance to apply for a special program called Green Champs. Students can fill out an optional form and our amazing program director, Ms. Shea, will pick 10 students in grades 3 to 5. We have 30 Green Champs plus a special intro program that just started out this year. All Green Champs have days where they go down to younger classes and teach them about helping our Earth. We all go on a ship for 15 minutes per week. So there are different roles we do. There's uh, the trash grabber, which you pick up loose trash and like with the grabber. And then there's the share table host where kids can like put lunch into like the hot lunch that the school provides into the basket. And I, I'm, people can pick them out of the basket if they want it. And then there's the, the sticker supplier, which is like, or stamps, uh, which is like they, if you, you quiz them, like this thing goes in this bin and if they get correct we give them a sticker or a stamp we also hold events to educate kids and adults alike so they can learn how to take better care of our not just for after future generations to come wow that's so cool seems like all schools should use a green chance group question number one what causes the warming of earth's temperature otherwise known as climate change is it a burning fossil fuels B, factory farming, C, plastic pollution, or D, all of the above? D. Correct. The answer is D, all of the above. Climate change is caused by burning fossil fuels, factory farming, and plastic pollution. What happens when the ice caps and glaciers melt due to a warming planet? A, all drinking water will be salty. B, humans will be able to swim more. C, sea levels will rise, or D, ocean animals will have a cleaner habitat. Uh, it's C. Correct. The answer is C, 
sea levels will rise. When an animal population is nearing extinction, we consider them to be A. Hunted B. Endangered C. Popular or D. Sick slash diseased When an animal population is nearing extinction, we say the animal is endangered. Our last question is... Deforestation, or the mass cutting down of trees and forests, contributes to climate change because... A. Trees supply oxygen and absorb carbon dioxide. B. Trees are fun to climb. C. Leaves clutter the forest floors. Or D. Trees absorb water. Correct. Trees supply oxygen and absorb carbon dioxide. Alright, that's it. Thanks for coming on. You really know your climate trivia. Wow, they really know their stuff. Alright folks, let's wrap up this interview with our weekly action step. I want to talk about how important it is to teach climate curriculums in schools. I know all the kids and teachers are thinking, oh no, more work, but I promise it can be fun. Did you know that New Jersey is the first and only state to require that climate change be taught to all students from kindergarten through 12th grade? One state out of just 50 is not enough. I've heard that many adults think teaching kids about climate change may bring on anxiety. Building a curriculum appropriate for each grade will reduce anxiety if it's focused on solutions. Let's start in kindergarten. I wouldn't suggest talking about the doom and gloom of climate change, but use something fun and relatable to teach the younger students. The kids could draw a polar bear, and then talk about the ice habitat where they live and how we can help reduce the melting of the polar ice. As the kids think through the problem to find a solution, they engage in climate solutions. Climate curriculums can be incorporated into each year based on age, and the students will feel empowered and hopeful for the future of our planet. Here are the facts from a recent NPR poll. More than 80% of parents in the U.S. support the teaching of climate change. And that support crosses political divides. 67% of Republicans and 90% of Democrats agree that the subject needs to be taught in school. A separate poll of teachers found that they are even more supportive, with 86% agreeing that climate change must be taught in schools. Teaching climate change in a manageable way and using problem-solving techniques help kids take part in positive change in our world and our future. That's our show, folks. As always, I'd love to hear from anyone who wants to share feedback about the podcast. Please feel free to message me through our social media. It's pretty cool. Special thanks to our guests today, Eve and Jeremy from Community Roots Academy, as well as the student Green Champs for playing trivia with us today. I also want to thank the amazing community at CRA, and thank you for inviting me to your Earth Day event. It was great fun. I also want to thank my parents, my buddy Waldo, my teacher Claire, as well as Dylan and their producers and engineers over at Resonate Recordings. Last but not least, you, the listener, for tuning in to We The Children Podcast. Find us on social media at We The Children Podcast, and don't hesitate to reach out. Remember, if we act together, we, the children, can inspire hope and create change for our climate. Tune in next time for more climate content. I know the planet is warming, but try to stay cool. This is Zachary James, signing off. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.